Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning, and welcome to the morning segment of the November 17th, 2022 episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host, and we're going to go ahead and get right into it on this, uh, well, probably pretty chilly Thursday morning, but we'll go ahead and get into it. We're going to go ahead and open up with our fifth day morning prayer. It's called The Giver. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things, we cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear, allure us into thy presence, help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt, and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed us thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, in the revelations of scripture, in the gift of thy Son, in the proclamation of the gospel. Make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor, but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials, but thankful for our state, and by so doing let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right, now the morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. Obviously, this is the morning uh, for November 17th, and the text is Romans 11.36. To whom be glory forever. Amen. To whom be glory forever. This should be the single desire of the Christian. All other wishes must be subservient and tributary to this one. The Christian may wish for prosperity in his business, but only so far as it may help him to, to promote this. To him be glory forever. He may desire to attain more gifts and more graces, but it should only be that to him may be glory forever. You are not acting as you ought to do when you are moved by any other motive than a single eye to your Lord's glory. As a Christian, you are of God and through God. Then live to God. Let nothing ever set your heart beating so mightily as love to him. Let this ambition fire your soul. Be this the foundation of every enterprise upon which you enter, and this your sustaining motive whenever your zeal would grow chill. Make God your only object. Depend upon it. Where self begins, sorrow begins. But if God be my supreme delight and only object, to me tis equal whether love or deign, my life or death, appoint me ease or pain. 
Let your desire for God's glory be a growing desire. You bl- you blessed him in your youth. Do not be content with such praises as you gave the, him then. Has God prospered you in business? Give him more as he has given you more. Has God given you experience? Praise him by a strong faith. I'm sorry, praise him by, a, by stronger faith than you exercised at first. Does your knowledge grow? Then sing more sweetly. Do you enjoy happier times than you once had? Have you been restored from sickness? And has your sorrow been turned into peace and joy? Then give him more music. Put more coals and more sweet frankincense into the censer of your praise. Practically in your life, give him honor. Putting the amen to this doxology, to your great and gracious Lord, by your own individual service and increasing holiness. All right. And our text for today is going to be 1 Chronicles 9, 1 Chronicles 10, Hebrews 12, Amos 6, and the rest of the first chapter of Luke Luke from like uh, verse 39 to verse 80. So 1 Chronicles 9. So all Israel was recorded by genealogies, genealogies, and behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. And Judah was taken away into exile to Babylon for their unfaithfulness. Now the first who lived in their possessions in their cities were Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the temple servants, and some of the sons of Judah, of the sons of Benjamin, and of the sons of Ephraim, and Manasseh lived in Jerusalem. Uthai, the son of Amihud, the son of Omri, the son of Imri, the son of Bani, from the sons of Perez, the son of Judah. From the Shilonites were Asaiah, the firstborn, and his sons, from the sons of Zerah, or Jehuel, and their relatives, 690 of them. From the sons of Benjamin were Salu, the son of Meshulam, the son of Hodavia, the son of Hasanua, and Ibniah, the son of Jeroham, and Ella, the son of Uzi, the son of Mikri, and Meshulam, the son of Shevatiah, the son of Ruel, the son of Ibnijah and their relatives according to their generations, 956. All these were heads of fathers' households, according to their fathers' houses. From the priests were Jediah, Jehoiarib, Jachin, and Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Meriah, the son of Ahitub, the leader of the house of God. And Adaiah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Peshur, the son of Malkijah, and Messiah, Maasai, the son of Adiel, the son of Jazera, the son of Meshulam, the son of Meshulameth, the son of Immer, and their relatives, heads of their fathers' households, 1,760 mighty men of valor for the work of the service of the house of God. Of the Levites were Shemaiah, the son of Hashub, the son of Azrikam, the son of Hashabiah, of the sons of Merari, and Bakbakar, Heresh, and Galal, and Madaniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zikri, the son of Asaph, and Obadiah, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Galal, the son of Jeduthun, and Barakiah, the son of Asa, the son of Elkanah, who lived in the villages of the Nadophathites. Now the gatekeepers were Shalem, sorry, were Shalem, and Akub, and Talmon, and Ahiman, and their relatives, Shalom the chief being stationed until now at the king's gate to the east. These were the gatekeepers for the camp of the sons of Levi. Shalem, the son of Kor, the son of Abiasaph, the son of Korah, 
and his relatives and his relatives of his father's house, the Korahites, were over the work of the service, keepers of the thresholds of the tent, and their fathers had been over the camp of Yahweh, keepers of the entrance. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, was ruler over them previously, and Yahweh was with them. Zechariah, the son of Meshelamiah, was gatekeeper at the entrance of the tent of meeting. All these who were chosen to be gatekeepers at the thresholds were 212. These were recorded by genealogy in their villages, whom David and Samuel the seer established in their office of trust. So they and their sons were over the gates of the house of Yahweh, even the house of the tent, as those who kept watch. The gatekeepers were on the four sides, to the east, west, north, and south. And their relatives and their villages were to come in every seven days from time to time to be with them. For the four chief gatekeepers who were Levites were in an office of trust, and were over the chambers and over the treasuries in the house of God. And they spent the night all around the house of God, because the watch was committed to them. And they were over, op and they were over opening it morning by morning. Now some of them were over the utensils of service, for they counted them when they brought them in and when they took them out. Some of them also were appointed over the furniture and over all the utensils of the sanctuary and over the fine flour and the wine and the oil and the frankincense and the spices. <clears throat> Some of the sons of the priests prepared the mixing of the spices. And Mattathiah, one of the Levites, who was the firstborn of Shalem, the Korahite, had the office of trust over the things which were baked in pans. Some of their relatives of the sons of the Kohathites were over the showbread to prepare it every Sabbath. Now these are the singers, heads of fathers' households of the Levites, who lived in the chambers of the temple free from other service, for they were over them in their work day and night. These were heads of fathers' households of the Levites according to their generations, the heads who lived in Jerusalem. Now in Gibeon, Jael, the father of Gibeon, lived, and his wife's name was Makah, and his firstborn son was Abdon, then Zer, Kish, Baal, Ner, Nadab, Gedor, Ahio, Zechariah, and Mikloth. Mikloth became the father of Shemim, and they also lived with their relatives in Jerusalem, opposite their other relatives. Ner became the father of Kish, and Kish became the father of Saul, and Saul became the father of Jonathan, Malkishua, Abinadab, and Eshbaal. The son of Jonathan was Meribbaal, and Meribbaal became the father of Micah. The sons of Micah were Pithon, Melech, Tariah, and Ahaz. Ahaz became the father of Jerah, and Jerah became the father of Alameth, Asmaveth, and Zimri. And Zimri became the father of Moza. Moza became the father of Benia, and Rephaiah his son, Eliasa his son, Azael his son. Azael had six sons, and these were their names. Azrakam, Bocheru, Ishmael, Shearah, Obadiah, and Hanan. These were the sons of Azel. Chronicles 10, 1 Chronicles 10, I should say. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gil Gilboa. And the Philistines closely pursued Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. And the battle became heavy against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and pierce me through with it, 
lest these uncircumcised come and abuse me. <clears throat> but his armor bearer was not willing, for he was greatly afraid. So Saul took his sword and fell on it. Then his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, so he also fell on his sword and died. Thus Saul died with his three sons, and all those of his house died together. Then all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that they had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead. So they forsook their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. Now it happened on the next day that the Philistines came to strip the slain, and they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they stripped him and took his head and his weapons and sent them all around the land of the Philistines to proclaim the good news to their idols and to the people. And they placed their weapons in the house of their gods and fastened his head in the house of Dagon. Then all Jabesh-Gilead heard all that the Philistines had done to Saul. So all the valiant men arose and took away the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons and brought them to Jabesh. And they buried their bones under the oak in Jabesh and fasted seven days. Thus Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he committed against Yahweh, because of the word of Yahweh, which he did not keep, and also because he asked counsel of a medium, making inquiry of it and did not inquire of Yahweh. Therefore he put him to death, and turned the kingdom to David, the son of Jesse. <clears throat> and Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, laying aside every weight, and the sin which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary, fainting in heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he flogs every son whom he receives. It is for the discipline that you and for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of Spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our benefit so that we may share his holiness. And all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, but to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Seeing to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be, defi and, and by it many be defiled, that also there be no sexually immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, 
though he sought for it with tears. For you have not come to a mountain, mountain that can be touched into a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was being commanded. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was what ha- what appeared that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the festal gathering and assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, <clears throat> and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Now this expression, yet once more, indicates the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And now Amos 6. (coughs) Sorry. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria, the distinguished men of the first of the nations, to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass on over to Kalneh and look, and go from there to Hamath the great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are they better than those kingdoms, or are their borders greater than your borders? Do you put off the day of calamity, and would you cause the seat of violence to approach? Those who lay down on beds of ivory and sprawl on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who improvise to the sound of the harp and like David have composed songs for themselves, who drink wine from sacrificial bulls while they anoint themselves with the first picks of the oils. Yet they have not grieved over the destruction of Joseph. Therefore they will now go into exile among the first of the exiles and the sprawlers banqueting will turn aside. Lord Yahweh has sworn by himself, Yahweh, God of hosts, has declared, I abhor the lofty pride of Jacob and hate his citadels. Therefore, I will deliver up the city as well as its fullness. And it will be, if ten men are left in one house, they will die. Then one's uncle, or the one who burns his bones, will lift him up to bring out his bones from the house. And he will say to the one who is in the innermost part of the house, Is anyone else with you? And that one will say, No one. Then he will answer, Keep quiet, for the name of Yahweh is not to be mentioned. For behold, Yahweh is going to command and will strike the great house to pieces and the small house to fragments. Do horses run on rocks, or does one plow them with oxen? Yet you have overturned justice into gall and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who are glad in Lodibar, and say, Have we not by our own strength taken Karnaim for ourselves? For behold, I am going to raise up a nation against you, O house of Israel, declares Yahweh, God of hosts, and they will press down on you from Lebo Hamath to the brook of the Arabah. 
And now look, Luke 1, starting in verse 39. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble state of his slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done the great thing, sorry, has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation, toward those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and has exalted those who were trouble, who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months, and then returned to her house. Now the time was filled for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had magnified his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zechariah after the name of his father. But his mother answered and said, No, but he shall be called John. <clears throat> and they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. And they were making signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And they all marveled. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak, blessing God. And fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard these things put them in, the, in their heart, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was indeed with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he visited and accomplished redemption for his people, and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to, rem to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to make ready his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to direct our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the desolate regions until the day of his public appearance to Israel. 
All right, that is our scripture reading for the day. And we'll go ahead and close out this morning section with a prayer from Valley of Vision called Paradoxes. O changeless God, under the conviction of thy spirit, I learn that the more I do, the worse I am. The more I know, the less I know. The more holiness I have, the more sinful I am. The more I love, the more there is to love. O wretched man that I am. O Lord, I have a wild heart and cannot stand before thee. I am like a bird before a man. How little I love thy truth and ways. I neglect prayer by thinking I have prayed enough and earnestly by knowing thou hast saved my soul. Of all hypocrites, grant that I may not be an evangelical hypocrite who sins more safely because grace abounds, who tells his lusts that Christ's blood cleanseth them, who reasons that God cannot cast him into hell for he is saved, who loves evangelical preaching, churches, Christians, but lives unholily. My mind is a bucket without a bottom, with no spiritual understanding, no desire for the Lord's day, ever learning but never reaching the truth, always at the gospel well, but never holding water. My conscience is without conviction or contrition, with nothing to repent of. My will is without power of decision or resolution. My heart is without affection and full of leaks. My memory has no retention, so I forget easily the lessons learned, and thy truth and thy truths seep away. Give me a broken heart that yet carries home the water of grace. Amen. All right. Well, that is our time this morning for the morning section. Um, I hope that these, uh, this time in the word has helped you. Um, and I would again say to you, as you go out into your day, do every, everything you do to the glory of God. God willing, I hope to see you this evening. God bless. Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good evening and welcome to the evening section of the uh, Thursday, November 17th, 2022 episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. And we're going to go ahead and jump straight into our reading for this evening. We're going to go ahead and open in prayer. The prayer from Valley of Vision this evening is going to be called Freedom. Freedom. O Holy Father, Thou hast freely given Thy Son. O Divine Son, Thou hast freely paid my debt. O Eternal Spirit, Thou hast freely bid me come. O Triune God, Thou dost freely grace me with salvation. Prayers and tears could not suffice to pardon my sins nor anything less than atoning blood. But my believing is my receiving, for a thankful acceptance is no paying of the debt. What didst thou see in me, that I, a poor, diseased, despised sinner, should be clothed in thy bright glory? 
that a creeping worm should be advanced to this high state, that one lately groaning, weeping, dying, should be as full of joy as my heart can hold, that a being of dust and darkness should be taken like Mordecai from captivity and set next to the king, should be lifted like Daniel from a den and be made ruler of princes and provinces. Who can fathom immeasurable love? As far as the rational soul exceeds the senses, so does the spirit exceed the rational in its knowledge of thee. Thou hast given me understanding to compass the earth, measure the sun, moon, stars, universe, but above all to know thee, the only true God. I marvel that the finite can know the infinite. Here a little, afterwards in full orb truth, now I know but a small portion of what I shall know. Here in part, there in perfection. Here a glimpse, there a glory. To enjoy thee is life eternal, and to, do, to enjoy is to know. Keep me in the freedom of experiencing thy salvation continually. Amen. All right. And now the evening devotion here for um, November 17th from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text is Ecclesiastes 10.9. <clears throat> he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. Oppressors may get their will of poor and needy men as easily as they can split logs of wood, but they had better mind, for it is a dangerous business, and a splinter from a tree has often killed the woodman. Jesus is persecuted in every injured saint, and he is mighty to avenge his beloved ones. Success in treading down the poor and needy is a thing to be trembled at. If there be no, da no danger to persecutors here, there will be great danger hereafter. To cleave wood is a common everyday business, and yet it has its dangers. So then, reader, there are dangers connected with your calling and daily life, which it will be well for you to be aware of. We refer not to hazards by flood and field or by disease and sudden death, but to perils of a spiritual sort. Your occupation may be as humble as log splitting. And yet the devil can tempt you in it. You may be a domestic servant, a farm laborer, or a mechanic, and you may be greatly screened from temptations to the grosser vices, and yet some secret sin may do you damage. Those who dwell at home and mingle not with the rough world may yet be endangered by their very seclusion. Nowhere is he safe who thinks himself so. Pride may enter a poor man's heart. Avarice may reign in a cottager's bosom. Uncleanness may venture into the quietest home. And anger and envy and malice may insinuate themselves into the most rural abode. Even in speaking, sorry, even in speaking a few words to a servant, we may sin. A little purchase at a shop may be the first link in a chain of temptations. The mere looking out of a window may be the beginning of evil. O oh Lord, how exposed we are! How shall we be secured to keep ourselves as work too hard for us? Only thou thyself art able to preserve us in such a world of evils. Spread thy wings over us, and we, like little chickens, will cower down beneath thee and feel ourselves safe. All right. So we're going to continue on in our study of Ephesians, and we're moving on into the next big section. Um, <clears throat> as I've been talking about, We've been building towards a crescendo, and we hit our crescendo last evening in Ephesians 5.21, where we were speaking of being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And we brought up that, you know, those examples that, that really are examples we should we should 
strive to emulate um, of Christ washing the feet of um, the disciples in John 13, 1 through 15 in the, in the upper room there at the end. And we talked through all the things with, with Peter trying to tell him what to do and Judas getting ready to betray him and them arguing about who's the greatest. And here's the son of God washing their feet in true, true humility. And we talked about Paul's declarations about Jesus in Philippians 2, 1 through 8. Um, so, you know, we, we see that and we, we, the example it is, what it's trying to tell us is to joyfully submit to our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we should all be going around and in our walk should be joyfully submitting, willfully submitting to our brothers and sisters in Christ through our own wills. And that's kind of the pinnacle we've built to through, built to through these walks, through the, the worthy walk, the unified walk, the um, set apart walk, the love walk, the light walk, the spirit walk, or the wise walk, the spirit walk, to this. That should be that outflowing of being overfull of the spirit, being just overflowing with the spirit, should being being in subject to each other. Which brings us to our next, our next part here, our, our next section here, where we're dealing with family relationships, which build on top of this. So what was Paul addressing? We really need to look into what was Paul addressing here. We've talked before, and I've brought it up to you before. Paul did not write these letters and talk about these things in the abstract, in a vacuum. When he said these things, he was addressing an issue that was showing up in the church. So 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. But if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Okay? Now just wait. Let's let's talk about this, but I want I want you to look at this. So this is in the Corinthian church. Something's going on. So in the Colossian church, uh, Colossians 3.18, wives be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now it sounds like stuff we're already going to deal with. We're, we're already seeing in Ephesians, but these are two different churches. This is not a copy of the letter. We're seeing this problem in the Colossian church. Um, Titus 2, Titus has been sent out to Crete, to the island of Crete, which is already, and you see when you read the book of Titus, is already a problem. They, they are already a major problem beyond this. But so this is the Cretan church in Titus 2, 1 through 5. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. So he's talking to Titus, who's one of his disciples he sent out. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossip. So obviously they were being that. Nor enslaved to much wine. So obviously they were doing that too. Teaching what is good so that they may instruct the young women in sensibility to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be slandered. So again, issue with women here. Um, and again, I'm not woman bashing. I'm bringing you what the Bible says. But we even see it with Peter, with Peter's epistle. First Peter 3, verse 1. In the same way, you wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, as they observe your pure conduct with fear. 
And Peter's there talking to the Jews as a whole, because Peter, while Paul was out dealing with the Gentile world, Peter was addressing Jews as a whole. And in this case, you see in 1 Peter 1, he's actually addressing Jew, Jews throughout the diaspora, throughout the scattering of the Jews that has gone out. So what, what's, what seems to be the problem here? Well, what has happened here is this Christian faith has, prop, has popped up. And this Christian faith is showing everybody being equal, and that's good. But what it has, has led to, and, and this isn't Christ's fault, this is man that does this, but what this has led to is a bunch of women who have been horrifically second-class citizens. So, so don't, I'm not minimizing that. But all of a sudden, from being one edge of the pendulum, swinging all the way to the other side, and all of a sudden they are, they are jumping up, they are throwing off any responsibility to their husbands, to their families, to anything else, and they're running around doing whatever they want to. They're, they're, they're going beyond. That, that, that would be like um, antinomianism, where people turn around and claim, well, we're saved, so our sins are paid for, so we just go on sinning because that makes grace abound more. And of course, Paul discreetly, and I forget which epistle he says it in, but he calls it out. He says, let that never be that we should never do that. Well, it's the same thing. These women are going, oh, heck yeah, let's go off and do it. I mean, we even see in some cases, and people want to turn around and call Paul a misogynist. Paul is not a misogynist. Paul is not a misogynist. And people calling him that today only shows how unin, unin touch with the scriptures they truly are and how unfull of the spirit they are, how not full of the spirit they are when they see that, because the thing is they're trying to interpret what Paul wrote in their paradigm. That's not how we do it. You read the scripture and you read it in the context of the world Paul lived in and what, who he was talking to and what he was trying to address. And then we see, how does that apply to us? Well, it does today. We've got third, fourth, and fifth wave feminism running completely nuts, tearing, tearing our families apart. And don't get me wrong. We've got fathers who can't be bothered to hang around. Oh, they can create a baby, but they run off and the family falls apart. We've got the same kind of thing happening here. So this is what Paul is addressing here in Ephesians. So we saw all those other churches, the Corinthian church, the Colossian church, the Cretan church, uh, the Jewish community that Peter's addressing and in the Ephesian church. And believe me, you're going to see it other, there are other places that you, it pops up too. Okay, probably the Philippian church. I think, but I don't remember if it's in Philippians or not. So, so our verse today, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's Ephesians 5.22. Now, please understand, God willing, we are going to, as we continue through these verses, I think there are two or three verses about the wife. Like I think it's 22, 23, and 24. Yeah, the rest of the chapter is husband's probably because we husbands are way more hard-headed and it needs to be beat, beat into our heads a little bit more. But so, you know, please don't, please don't think this is me trying to come down on women. It's not. Um, you're, you're welcome to ask my wife. She is, will be very, very clear with you that I am anything but a misogynist. But Paul here is trying to address an issue with these women. Um, again, these women in this time were throwing off all responsibility. And I'm sorry, we as Christians, no matter what freedom we have, we are called to responsibility. 
everybody wants to go, oh, shouldn't I be able to exercise my free will? Shouldn't I be able to run around and exercise my Christian freedoms? Not where it hurts the body of Christ. Not where it hurts your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how we're submissive to each other. So we're submissive within the body of Christ, but we're submissive between husband and wife. So let's look at that. And so we're, we're going to break this down into three sections. What we're going to talk about first today, the first real, the first characteristic that is presented here is the nature of this submission of a wife being subject to her husband. So again, we see the word hupotasso here, the being subject to hupotasso. And the meaning here is that the wife willingly submits to the headship of her husband. This isn't a text indicating that a husband can behave in an authoritarian or domineering matter, manner towards his wife. Okay, Too many men have tried to use that to dominate their wives. That is not what this means. That is dishonoring God and is sinful. Okay, What this is indicating is a wife willingly submitting, a wife that is so filled with the Spirit that in that overflowing love, in that submission to her brothers and sisters in Christ, she also submits willingly to her husband, to his headship in the household. And it goes on, we see, talks about as to the Lord. Again, that's been taken completely out of context. People try to twist that and say that what's being talked of here is the wife should submit to the husband as she would submit to Christ. No, they're not the same thing. That that puts the, her husband in the place of Christ. No, 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 no. That's not what that means. It means that, that that wife should willingly submit to be subject to their husband as an act of obedience to Christ. This is God's command. Thus, this is Christ's command because he is God incarnate. So in obedience out of love for Christ, they are willingly submitting to their husband. It's an outpouring of their love and obedience to Christ, that they're willing to be subject to their husband. That's what it's talking about. And there are limitations to that. We see that in that nature. There's a limitation to that. It's to your own husbands. This does not mean that my wife magically becomes subject, at least in that husband-wife way, to any other male in the body of Christ. That's not what that means. It means to your own husband, to me alone. But there's even a bigger meaning there. It also indicates that this husband belongs to her as a personal, intimate possession. Again, Song of Solomon. Verse 3, the very beginning of it. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. Okay. So it goes both ways. The submission to the husband, but then the husband belongs to the wife, to your own husbands. Wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, meaning they're your husbands. There is a possession there. Um, and it's an intimate possession. It's, it's not a, I own you. It, it's a, we are two parts of a whole that can't be separated. I mean, God's very clear about that, 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 you know, that they become, the two will become one. But again, it's willing submittal and intimate possession. Um, and it's a submittal. It's, it's again, 
that overflowing of the spirit that brings us to be subject to one another in Christ. And it's really, really easy to look at this. And again, we're going to see husbands loving your wife. And again, that actually ends up being a submittal as well to the wife um, as we come, God willing, later in this chapter. And it's very, very easy. And believe me, I know my wife and I early on, we we were not good at being married. <laughs> we were not good because we were so, so selfish. We were so concerned with what, what we got what we got out of it. And it was horrible. It was horrible. We were just so reprehensible towards each other. And one of the best, one of the best pieces of advice we ended up getting was to put the other's needs before our own. I mean, as we saw in our examples where Christ put others needs before his own, we've seen here in Ephesians that he submitted himself and humbled himself to pay for our sins. That he washed their feet as an, as a symbol of washing our feet. That he subjected himself to the punishment, the, the execution of the lowest of the low. He humbled himself to that level, that true humility to accept that, to pay our debt. That's what we're talking about here in this submission, the wife being subject to your husbands. And what we'll see in husbands loving your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And it, and, and again, so you'll see, we'll see that when we get to that verse, but again, it's that same kind of submission that putting before yourself, the other part of you, that spouse, this is the kind of submission, subjection, um, we're talking about here. And again, it's not a forced, that's where these, these verses get twisted. And that's where, of course, the, the, anti-Christian coalition of people out there want to grab this and say, oh yeah, they're making women second-class citizens again. No, I don't think so. My wife is not a second-class citizen. My wife is my partner. My wife willingly submits to my headship as the head of this household and as her spiritual leader in this household. But I don't tell her she's going to do that. She makes clear to me that she submits to my headship. She shows that the spirit fills her and overflows. And she shows that that's what these verses are talking about. And too many have twisted these into some kind of forced something. And then of course, into some nasty, disgusting, not God honoring thing. That's not what we're talking about here. And it's done willingly. And the, true example of that willingness is Christ in the garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, verse starting in verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. 
And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. And we even have one account, and I can't remember which gospel it's in, that it speaks of, he was in such distress while praying this, that he was sweating blood. He was at such a level of stress. But he keeps saying, your will be done. That's the example of submission we're talking about. He's willingly submitting. He makes clear that he could call when, when Peter pulls his sword and tries to cut off a guy's ear and cuts off a guy's ear. Uh, one of the uh, servants of one of the priests cuts off his ear. And Jesus rebukes him and says, could I not summon legions of angels if I wished? He willingly submitted. And that's the example here. That's the example to men and women. And that's why it's like, yeah, okay, wives be subject to your husbands, but the rest of us need to not take a snoozer on this. You know, see this verse and go, oh, that's not for me. Yeah, it is. What an example of submission, of willing submission. So wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. We're going to do the fifth day evening prayer. It's called protection. O Lord God, thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quieten our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease that we may value the good physician. Placard to us the cross, that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith, which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith, perceiving nothing in ourselves. May we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right. I hope you've had a wonderful day and that God has truly blessed you in this day and that through your walk, you've done everything to the glory of God. Have a great evening and God willing, I'll see you tomorrow morning. God bless. 